Psalm 40. Psalm 40. We come now uh, to a time of a sermon. Jesus taught us that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So we come now to feast together as a family on the word of God. We'll begin by reading Psalm 40 together. And since these words are breathed out by God and come with the very authority of Jesus Christ himself, if you're able, would you please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word? Psalm 40. The Holy Spirit says, To the choir master, a psalm of David. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offering, you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering, you have not required. Then I said, behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book, it is written of me, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, Aha, aha. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy. But the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O oh my God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. 
Do you know what it's like for your heart to be overwhelmed by your sin? Do you know what it's like, to use David's words, to feel overtaken by your own sin? Maybe you've walked with Christ for a while. You know, there was a a moment in your life when you realized you were a sinner and you wanted to know God. Uh, So you trusted in Jesus to save you from your sin and to reconcile you to God. And and Jesus changed your life. And now, years later, you've been trying to follow Christ faithfully. You try to be a light to those around you, your neighbors, your family members. Uh, You try to make disciples within the local church, but lately you have just been burdened by your sin. Maybe you are burdened because you sinned in front of someone that you were trying to reach for Christ. And you think to yourself, well, there goes that. I blew it. She's never going to want to follow Jesus now that she's seen what a hypocrite I am. Maybe you've sinned in the eyes of a fellow believer. Uh, maybe, you know, you're trying to, trying to set a good example. Maybe you're even trying to mentor or disciple a person. And now you just feel like you've lost all credibility as a follower of Christ, as a disciple maker. Or maybe you're burdened, and it's not at all because of what other people think. Maybe you're just feeling the weight of your sin in the privacy of your own heart. You're deeply aware of your imperfections. Maybe your past sins are haunting you like never before. Uh, Maybe you've recently failed in a way that you didn't think that you could. So what do you do in those moments? Where do you turn? Well, David shows us in Psalm 40. Here's the message of Psalm 40 to us today. Trust now in the God who saved you then. Trust now in the God who saved you then. What we'll see in Psalm 40 is that David begins by remembering God's past salvation. He remembers how God delivered him from death. He remembers how God delivered him uh, so that he could fulfill his duty as king to his people. And then after we see David remembering God's salvation, we'll see the reason why David was remembering God's past salvation. It's because he needed to trust in the Savior in the presence. David is overwhelmed by his sin. And so this man who was delivered in the past recognizes he needs to be delivered today. So David looks back on God's past salvation to fuel his faith in the present. He remembers what God has done before so that he can have confidence that God will come through now. And this is David's message to us today. Trust now in the God who saved you then. How do we do that? First, remember God's past salvation. Remember God's past salvation. We see this in verses 1 through 10. David begins Psalm 40 by remembering God's past salvation 
starting in verses 1 through 3. Read those again with me. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. In the past, David trusted in Yahweh to deliver him in his his own timing. And Yahweh came through. Yahweh heard the king's cry. David describes being in this, this pit of destruction, trapped, unable to get out, destined for destruction. Uh, he describes it as a, a miry bog, stuck, unstable. Yet Yahweh delivered him. God drew his king up out of the pit. He brought him to a place of safety and solid footing. Uh, David paints this picture of how God delivered him in the past. And when he did, Yahweh gave David something to sing about. The Lord delivered the king, so the king praises the Lord for his salvation. And notice his song is not private. He hopes that many will hear this song, that many will see what Yahweh did and give him glory for delivering the king. David hopes that others will trust this God who delivered the king so that the king's salvation would lead to the salvation of many Well, likewise, we give glory to God today because God also delivered our king. When we're talking about remembering God's past salvation, first and foremost, we remember how our king, Jesus, was saved and how his salvation has led to our salvation. Our king, Jesus, the son of David, chose to enter the pit of destruction for his people. Jesus took on the sins of the world and was destroyed under the wrath of God for his people. Jesus went into the miry bog of death, a miry bog that no sinful human could ever escape on his own. And like David, Jesus cried to the Lord and he was delivered. The author of Hebrews tells us that Jesus offered up loud cries to his father who was able to save him from death and the father heard the king's cries and drew him up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog of the grave. Jesus was delivered from death and is alive and reigning as king today. And so we sing a new song. We sing because King Jesus was delivered. And because Jesus was delivered from death, we have been delivered from death if we trust in him. Do you remember when you were destined for the pit of destruction? Do you remember when you were in the miry bog? When Jesus found you stuck and unable to deliver yourself? Do you remember when Jesus drew you up out of the pit and delivered you and changed your life for all of eternity. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. 
it is good to remember how Jesus saved us. So may we remember how Jesus died and was resurrected and put our trust in the Lord. Because it is good to trust in the Lord. And as David goes on, he describes how good it is to trust in the Lord. Look at verses 4 and 5. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord, my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. David, as he gives this song to the choir master to put in the mouths of the people of God, he wants us to sing this truth, that the one who flourishes is the one who trusts in the Lord. The good life is found when we place all of our hope and confidence in the one who delivered his king from destruction. There are others who boast of a good life apart from God. They run after other sources of happiness. They run after other saviors. But these proud people are chasing after lies. False saviors. Sometimes it's hard to see when you're up close and all you can see is how happy they are in this moment. But what David is doing is he's remembering God's salvation and it gives him proper perspective on the reality of of those who run after lies. He is remembering that false saviors do not lead to true flourishing. And as we remember God's salvation, we need to remember that those who trust in false saviors do not truly flourish. We need to remember how when we were trusting in false saviors, we were not truly flourishing. We were missing the joy of knowing God. So, May we not turn to false saviors who give rituals and rules, but who cannot save you from death. May we not turn to false saviors who promise happiness in this life, but can offer you nothing in eternity. Follow instead this God who has multiplied his wondrous deeds and thoughts to his people. Remember the great things he has taught us and the great things he has done in Christ. Remember the amazing truth that the creator God thought about people like us and made a plan to deliver us from death and give us eternal life. There is no one like this God. David remembered these things and he promised not to keep this good news of salvation to himself. He says, I will proclaim. He wants people to know what God has done. And aren't you glad to know what God has done? Aren't you glad? We have the scriptures which tell of God's wondrous deeds toward us. His wondrous thoughts toward us. We've been told the good news of salvation. And so as we are wanting to remember God's salvation, if you are trying to remember God's salvation, take your ear to where the king has spoken those deeds. 
open the Bible and hear King Jesus proclaim God's wondrous deeds and thoughts toward you. Rehearse the good news that he has preached to us. Well, as David continues to describe God's deliverance of him, he also describes his own duty to God as king. The people of God, as we see in Psalm 40, the people of God are blessed by God providing deliverance for the king, but the people of God are also blessed by the king carrying out his duty to God. Let me show you that in verses 6 through 8. David says, In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. What the people of God needed from their king was not empty religious rituals, but obedience to God. What Yahweh wanted from David was not empty religious rituals, but obedience. God wanted him to listen to his word. And so David says to God, you have given me an open ear. In other words, Yahweh has enabled David to hear his will for David so that David can carry out his will. God did not want the external religious ritual of animal sacrifice. What God wanted, what the people of God needed from David was for David to do God's will from the heart. That's what a good king does. And that's what David says he delights to do. Well, like King David, our King Jesus delighted to do the will of his father. What we needed most from our King Jesus was for him to do the will of his father. Because when King Jesus did the father's will, he accomplished a greater salvation than any burnt offering or sin offering ever could. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Hebrews 10. Leave uh, a, a mark in Psalm 40 and turn to Hebrews 10 and verse 5. Hebrews 10 and verse 5. In this chapter, Hebrews 10, the author of Hebrews tells us that the sacrifices of the Old Covenant, the Old Testament law, that those sacrifices, that whole sacrificial system was just a shadow. Uh, those sacrifices were a preview of what was to come. Sacrifices under the old covenant could not truly save a person. The blood of animals can't take away sins. But then he goes on to say this in verses 5 through 10. So Hebrews 10, verses 5 through 10. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, that is, Christ said, and then he quotes Psalm 40, verses 5 through 8. He says, Christ said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Then the author explains how he, uh, Psalm 40 relates to Christ. Verse 8, when he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Verse 9, then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish 
the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Christ came to do a work that the sacrifices of the old covenant could never accomplish. He came to do the will of the Father. And it was the Father's will for Jesus to offer his own body as a sacrifice. And because of Jesus' perfect obedience to God's will, because of King Jesus' perfect sacrifice, those who trust in him are cleansed of our sin. We who trust in him have had our sins taken away as far as east is from the west, as we sang from Psalm 103 before. This is the salvation we have in Christ. This is salvation that was accomplished as our king did the will of the Father. This is salvation worth remembering, and it's salvation worth declaring. And that's exactly what David does as he continues in Psalm 40. Let's turn back there, Psalm 40, and look at verses 9 and 10 again. David says, I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. So as we've already seen from David, salvation leads to proclamation. David did not want to keep God's deliverance a secret, so he, he says to Yahweh, I've told of your salvation. He's told the congregation about being saved and how that came from Yahweh's steadfast love and faithfulness. Yahweh had promised, he had covenanted to keep his steadfast love on David. And Yahweh was faithful to keep his promise. He showed his faithfulness by saving David. And so David says to the congregation, God kept his word and saved me. Salvation leads to proclamation. And again, aren't you grateful that the glad news of deliverance in Christ has reached your ears? That it's been proclaimed to you. Aren't you glad that this good news was not hidden from you or concealed from you? Just remember how blessed we are to have heard the good news that Jesus Christ was delivered from the miry bog of death and is alive today. Remember how blessed we are to have heard the good news that Jesus Christ offered his body as a once-for-all sacrifice to take our sins away forever. Remember how this gospel of salvation, which was proclaimed by Jesus and proclaimed by his apostles and proclaimed by his people for millennia across nations, has made all its way all the way to you. Remember God's salvation. You know, maybe today you're hearing David's story. You're hearing the story of Jesus. You're hearing the story of those who have been saved by Jesus. But this story of salvation is not your story. Maybe you can't remember God's past salvation because you've never trusted in Jesus to save you from your sins. Hear 
the glad news of deliverance for you today. God is extending to you an offer of forgiveness and cleansing and pardon and to be reconciled to God and to have life flourishing in Christ for all of eternity. David's desire is that many would see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. And that's our desire for you today, that you would see the salvation that God has purchased in Christ, the salvation that has changed the lives of people in this room, and that you would see it and fear God, that you would receive it for yourself, that you would trust in the Lord and be saved and delivered. Trust in this God who saves sinners. Trust in the death and resurrection of Jesus to forgive you of your sins, to cleanse you of all unrighteousness, and to reconcile you to the God who made you. If this story of salvation is already your story, King Jesus wants you to hear this good news today, too. The story of salvation is not just good news the first time you need to hear it. It's not just good news before you have trusted in Christ. It is good news every day of trusting in Christ. David wants you to remember God's salvation. Why? Well, David was recalling how God saved him in the past because he was needing to be saved in the present. And that leads us to the second part of this psalm. As we seek to trust now the God who saved us then, not only do we need to remember God's salvation, we need to trust in the Savior today. Trust in the Savior today. In the last verses of Psalm 40, David highlights two ways that he needed to trust in the present, the one who saved him in the past. And we need to trust the Savior in these two ways in the present as well. First, trust him for mercy. Trust him for mercy. Look at verses 11 and 12. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. David needed salvation in the present. And what he needed to be saved from was his own sin. Now, this is a way that David is not like Christ, but this is a way that we are like David. David felt sin encircling him. He felt that his sins had overtaken him. His heart was broken because of how overwhelmed he was by his own sin. And what was his hope? The steadfast love and faithfulness of God. That steadfast love and faithfulness that he just sang about, that God had shown him in the past when he delivered him and brought him out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog. That same steadfast love and faithfulness that God showed him in the past It was his hope that God would show him the same steadfast love and faithfulness here in the present. His hope was that the God who showed him mercy to pull him up out of the miry bog had not yet run out of mercy for him. He was confident enough even to declare, you will preserve me, O Lord. 
If you have trusted in Jesus, you need to remember that you have been shown incredible love and mercy from God. He has united you to Christ's salvation. He has lifted you up from the pit of destruction. He has lifted you out of the miry bog of death. But just sometimes living the Christian life practically, it's hard for us to make the connection between what, is God, what God has done for us in the past and our present struggle with sin. As I already said, maybe you know what it's like for your sins to feel like they are overtaking you. In those moments, what do you believe? When you feel overwhelmed by sin, what do you believe? Do you doubt if you really belong to Christ? Do you feel that you have less worth? When you feel overtaken by sin, what, what do you do? What's your response? Do you beat yourself up? Do you try to fix it yourself? You need to understand something. When Christ made his once for all sacrifice, he obtained God's mercy for you. At the cross, Jesus purchased for you the unrestrained mercy of Almighty God. Jesus purchased steadfast love and faithfulness that was not just enough to convert us. He purchased steadfast love and faithfulness that is enough to preserve us until we see him face to face. Jesus is merciful toward us. He wasn't just merciful enough to save our sins in the past. He is merciful enough to save us from our sins in the present. So when you feel overwhelmed by your sin, may your first response not be to look at yourself. May your first response not be to look at yourself and what you think or what you will do. May your first response to be to look to Christ. Remember his mercy. Remember his death and resurrection. Remember his power to cleanse and to forgive and to redeem and declare with David, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Trust now the God who saved you then. Trust the Savior for mercy. And then also trust him with your witness. Trust him for mercy and trust him with your witness. David asks God for salvation in verse 13, he says, Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. He expresses what he's asking for. He's making this petition. He's asking God, who delivered him in the past, deliver me now. And, and then he expresses his desire for how he hopes that two different groups of people are going to respond when God saves him. Okay, He asks God for deliverance, and then he expresses how he hopes that two different groups of people will respond. First, David prays for the response of his enemies. Look at verses 14 and 15. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. 
Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, aha, aha. Uh, So there are people in David's world who are trying to snatch away his life. They delight in his hurt. They're trying to put David to shame. And so David asks God to put them to shame. He asks God to make it so that those who have been assaulting him would run away and retreat. And why would this happen? What, What would have such an effect on David's enemies? God's salvation of David. These are those who are saying David is a fool to trust in God. And it's when God comes through and delivers David that they will be put to shame, that their mouths will be shut, that they'll run away with their tail between their legs. David has sinned, and they are so ready to take joy in David's shame. But if Yahweh delivers David, it's they who will be put to shame. So that's the first group of people. Then in verse 16, David prays for a different group of people. Look at verse 16. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, great is the Lord. Okay, so this group of people are those who worship the one true God. These are those who delight in God's salvation. And and David asks that the outcome would be such that they would rejoice and be glad in Yahweh who saves He asked that they would continually praise Yahweh. And again, why would this happen? Because of God's deliverance of David. David is asking to be delivered so that those who trust in God would see that God did it, that God delivered him, that God saved him. He wants them to see and rejoice and and have further and deeper trust in Yahweh. So that's those two groups of people. But then notice how he ends in verse 17. He's, He's talked about his enemies. He's talked about his friends. What about himself? He says this in verse 17. As for me, I am poor and needy. But the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. So consider this for a moment. What does David want his enemies to and his friends to see. Does he want them to see that David is really righteous? Does he want them to see that David has it all together? That David is really good at solving his own problems? No. He wants them to see he's poor and needy. He wants them to see that what makes the difference in his life is that the Lord has delivered him. He wants them to see that what makes the difference in his life is that the Lord of the universe takes thought of him. He wants them to see the power of God, that Yahweh is his help. He asked God to deliver him so that yet again salvation could lead to proclamation so that many would see not his own goodness, but see God's deliverance and fear the God who delivered him. So just understand that what people in your life need to see from you is not how good you are on your own. What the people watching in on your life need to see is not your perfection. They need to see you trust in the Savior. 
When we live before those who don't know God, especially those who are even hostile to Christianity, we might be afraid to let them see that we sin. We may feel like we have to keep up this front of morality, especially to those who are hostile, or they'll think that we're hypocrites. And when we do sin, we feel like we've blown our witness. But what the world, what even enemies of the church need to see is people who are poor and needy. They need to see that the difference in us is not that we are better than them. What they need to see is that the difference in us is that Jesus has saved us from sin in the past and today. And even when we live before those who do know God, we may still think that we need to hide our sinfulness. Have you ever experienced living life within the church before people in their church clothes, before people with their church face, that you too need to make sure that you look like you've got it all together? Maybe you feel like you need to project this sense of maturity and spirituality. Maybe you want to give the right answer instead of a true answer. Or maybe you just genuinely want to make disciples and you want to set an example, uh, but we believe that we can't help someone else if we don't have our own stuff together. But what your brothers and sisters in Christ need to see in you is that you are poor and needy. Your brothers and sisters need to see God and His power and how He shows you, the poor and needy one, grace. They don't need your example of perfection. They already have Christ's example of perfection. They need your example of how to trust Christ. So, trust in the Savior today. Trust Him for mercy and trust Him with your witness. Trust now in the God who saved you then. Remember how he saved you and renew your trust in the Savior today. Let God's past salvation fuel your faith in the present. God has not run out of mercy for you. The same cross that had the power to save you at your conversion has enough power for you today. Trust now the God who saved you then. Let's pray. Father, your mercy to us in Christ is unspeakable because, Lord, it is unrestrained. Lord, we want to tell of your deeds, but they are more than can be told. Lord, I pray that my brothers and sisters would remember your salvation. Lord, that you would bring their minds and their hearts back to the cross, back to how you have saved them and changed them and transformed them by the power of of your grace. And Lord, that that would change the way they live in the present. 
Lord, that they would find mercy in Christ now, that they would find hope now. Lord, I pray that we would grow more and more in trusting you now, the one who saved us then. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's all stand together.